If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them up to Proverbs. We're going to be covering a lot of ground. We're actually going to be covering the whole book or the whole chapter today. Uh, looking at a book that, quite frankly, is surprising. Uh, we've tried to cover Proverbs verse by verse through several chapters. But as I'm moving through Proverbs, as I'm sure you've discovered, there are certain themes in Proverbs. And one of the themes that's incredibly surprising, actually, is the heart. Uh, I don't know if you've read the Bible much. Maybe you're a new believer. Maybe you've known Christ for many years and you're very experienced in the Bible. But the heart, most of the time, I associate discussions about the heart and what God desires about our hearts with the New Testament. Certainly not the Old Testament or Proverbs, but I don't know if you know this, but in the entire Bible, if you were just a very simple cursory uh, search in the ESV, the word heart, the translators translate as heart, multiple different Hebrew and Greek words, occurs over 763 times in the Bible. 763 times in a Bible. That's a little scary for a guy that's kind of rational. I'm not the feeling kind of guy. I'm more the rational kind of guy, or at least I thought I was. But what I discover is we all live really what we love, and that has to do with the heart. 763 times in the Bible, we see the word heart, if you just have the ESV. I'm not sure what some of the other translations are. To give you an idea, in the New Testament, it's only mentioned 109 times. Only 109 times in the entire New Testament out of the 763 times. The book that contains more passages on just the topic of the heart, a very specific Hebrew word this time, is actually Psalms. 99 times Psalms mentions the heart. But Proverbs, the short little book with just a few chapters, mentions it 92 times. 92 times God talks about the heart in Proverbs of all places. What in the world is he trying to communicate? Well, this morning, we're not going to look at an entire biblical theology on the heart. We don't have the time or the ability to do that. We're just simply going to look at a very simple view of what God talks about in Proverbs, the entire book, regarding the heart. Now, we're not going to cover all 92 verses, but I am going to cover a great deal of them in a very high-level way. Then we're going to go deep in a few areas. But maybe you're sitting out there and you're like me or you're like I was, had kind of the perspective that I usually walk around with, and you're like, great, the heart. This is going to be a touchy-feely message. I was wanting something really to pump me up this week. Uh, I'm just not the emotional kind of guy. Well, let me give you some examples. Uh, Noah, can you help me out with an illustration? Naomi, could you help me out too? Come on up, come on up. Yes, Noah and Naomi, I love to pick on them. All right, Noah, I'm really going to embarrass you. I want you to form your, this is a heart. Try to do it like a heart. All right, there you go. Something like that. And you point to your brain, all right? This is the mind, this is the heart. So in the Bible, it talks about a lot of things, body, soul, spirit, heart, throat, mind. Oh my goodness, mom's taking a, a picture, so you're really going to be embarrassed. It's going to be out on social media later. All right, so you may be like me and think you operate with the mind. Well, let me just ask you something really, really quick. Where are you going to lunch? Did you sit there and analyze the lunch place that has the most uh, efficient surface, 
that's the quickest in and out, that is the closest to the church, that you can beat the Methodist to the, to the, the bar there, and, and they serve the absolute healthiest foods. Is that how you analyze where you're going to lunch, or did you go, hmm, what's sounding good? What do I like? What do I love? Where's my favorite restaurant? Well, that's kind of an easy one. Well, let's think about it like this. As mom sitting there, as she's about to embarrass you later, one point you didn't exist. She was thinking, you know what? I think the most financially responsible, intellectual thing that I could possibly do is have kids. Do you think she, she thought about it like that? Do you think she went down and figured out all the math and the finances and time that she, she was like, I just don't have enough. I've got plenty of money. I, I'm going to have kids because that's the most intellectually smart thing that she wanted to do. Or did she go, you know what? I would love to have kids. I think she went with, I would love to have kids, right? Yeah, because yeah, you're like, I'm about to cost her a lot of money with college. <laughs> How about even with your downside, maybe, or even your work? You think, well, Scott, I hate my work. I just do it for the job. I, I just do it to, so I can pay bills. Once again, you don't realize it, but you're doing it out of the heart, maybe out of fear or out of hatred, but you're scared of living on the street. You're not just simply thinking, oh, it's a good idea to, to pay my bills. There's emotion involved. So believe it or not, just about everything you do involves the heart. And we're going to look at a very simplistic view of Proverbs on, on how we impact the heart, how we direct the heart, how we shape the heart. Because you guys don't know these two great individuals. You guys can sit down now. Oh. <laughs> They're like, thank God. You don't know how great they are. They're willing to stand there and do this. But we've spent a lot of time, mom and dad have spent a lot of time and money investing in their mind, in their education. You likely spent 13 years going through school, uh, trying to form your mind. And then you went to work in college maybe, and you again tried to impact your mind. But who shapes the heart? We just saw that it's a huge part of everything that we do. Well, usually it's our parents a little bit. But do, do they really spend the time, money, and effort to shape our hearts compared to our minds? When we realize that we live what we love, we realize how important all of a sudden the heart is and how little time maybe we've even thought about the heart or how we've taken Scripture and tried to form and shape the heart. It's amazing how we just kind of skip over that sometimes. So let's look at it not as just being emotional or rational, but how it affects our entire lives. We live what we love. First, what is the heart? Well, it houses a lot of things according to Proverbs. And by the way, these slides will be out on our, on our website uh, under the sermons. If, if you don't have time to copy them all down, later in the week it'll be up. Normally it's up by Monday, but we're a little late this week. So they will be out there. You can sit back and relax. Proverbs 2, 6, and 10. If you want to turn there, this is one of the many verses that Proverbs talks about what is housed in our heart. Gladness is housed there. Desire is housed there. Plans, wisdom, God's commandments, purity or folly, either one. It's all there in the heart. Proverbs 2, 6 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. 
come knowledge and understanding. And it proceeds further, and finally in verse 10, it says, For wisdom will come into your hearts, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Notice this tying of knowledge and wisdom to the heart and pleasantness. If you're sitting here with a, a broken heart, a sorrowful heart, a heart that's aching, and you're thinking, Scott, I'm doing, it seems like I'm doing all the right things. I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm going to Bible studies, multiple Bible studies, I'm here listening to you, and it's just not getting better. Well, are you letting it touch the heart? Can you actually praise God for his promises? Do you worship God as you listen to his very words and let them connect to your heart? Or is it just an intellectual exercise? If it's just an intellectual exercise, then you can do all that stuff and your heart will still ache. One of the very things the heart can do. It can backslide. Uh, It can be set to accomplish certain things, right? If you set your heart to do something, it's more than just an intellectual decision. When you set your heart to do something, you can overcome just about anything that may come into your path that might hinder you. There's a big difference between making an intellectual decision and your heart being involved. Your heart can be deceptive. It can be given away, like in marriage. It can envy. We're going to look at that a little bit later. It can be discerning. It can acquire knowledge or not. Once again, we're not just speaking of the mind here as like, boy, I can quote scripture because a lot of times actually people have gotten upset with me lately as I suggest they try to hide God's word in their heart. And like, Scott, quoting scripture, memorizing scripture isn't doing anything for me. I'm like, I don't care if you ever memorize a single verse. I really don't. That's between you and God. But the process, the process of memorizing scripture where you're meditating on it, where you're thinking about what God desires in your life and you're thinking about God and how it impacts others. It's the process that begins to affect your heart if you let it. And as you're focused on loving God, loving others, learning what God desires, then whatever comes in this world, in this life, you have an entirely different set of emotions and set of responses that overcome it. It's just not an intellectual belief. There's a huge, huge difference. I mentioned envy. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, if you want to um, turn to that passage. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17. As you begin to understand what the heart can do and what it houses, you realize this is kind of scary because if it's looking good, then life is good. But if it looks bad, if you've never given it any attention, if you've just kind of let your heart run wild at whatever you see, whatever you think, whatever comes in your path, things can go south in a hurry. Proverbs 23, 17. Let your heart, or let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. There are going to be continual times in your life where you have the opportunity to envy other people who are maybe greedy or or who are accomplishing great things through wickedness. I'm about to throw some people under the bus. I don't mean to. Um, It's just I've been caught up into this, and maybe you're caught up into this. It's kind of a subtle form of greediness. So I hate doing cardio. 
when I go to the gym, I get on a treadmill and I make sure I'm right in front of a TV. For whatever reason, the time I'm at the gym, the channel that they have is the channel that is like flipping houses. And every single morning, it's like people walking in, they're unhappy with their house and they want the newest, greatest kitchen that costs $60,000. And, and they kind of try to communicate that's going to make them happy. They don't realize a year later, their, their kitchen's all messed up. It's dinged up. The kids have scratched stuff. Uh, the, there's food in the little tile you know, lines and it's nasty and the oven's all grimy. If I opened up your oven, you know what you're talk I'm talking about. It's not perfect. But they pretend like this is going to make you happy. So every morning I'm on the treadmill, I'm looking at this. And after a while, I'm like, I don't have any interest in this, but I'm like, that's a pretty cool kitchen. Those would be nice countertops. I'm not sure my countertops are really that good. And boy, if I just knocked out a wall in my house, I bet I'd be a lot happier. You know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking we need to do some remodeling. And, I'm, and I don't even like this show, right? But I'm spending there hours and hours. Well, let's, let's be truthful, Scott. I'm spending minutes and minutes there. Okay, I hate cardio. But it's really easy to let your heart envy sinners. And I'm not saying all those people are sinners, but what I am saying is if you think the things of this world uh, are going to make you happy and you set your love on the things of this world, First John talks about it, don't love the things of this world. And so then you would be going into a sinful mindset. So it's amazing this heart, how it can, like I didn't intellectually decide to run on the treadmill and do that. It just happened. Where is your heart at today? What's controlling it? Is it sin? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it remorse? Is it sorrow? Is it the Lord? So that's what the heart can do. What can the heart not do? Well, in all of Proverbs and all the discussion, the heart can't make itself pure. Only God can do that. Only him and his word and his spirit. He can't make itself pure. But you can do some things there are some additional aspects to it. Turn to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 10. First of all, God weighs your heart. And you're going to begin to understand, and this is kind of cool in relationships, if you're having a hard time figuring out your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your kids, or even if you've been married you know, 20 years and you still don't understand your spouse, well, there's a reason for that biblically. Only God weighs the heart. It's interesting. Uh, Proverbs 14.10 talks about it like this. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. It's hidden. It's alone. It's isolated. It's deep. The Proverbs talk about it being like a deep sea, deep waters. It's difficult. Only according to Proverbs, a man of understanding can draw it out. It's really difficult to get to know the heart of someone else. And it's hard to even communicate what's going on in your heart to someone else. It, it, it takes a great deal of understanding and time, but God weighs it. And so the easiest way to begin to shape your heart is with God, but others can help. You just have to be willing and you have to be wise enough to understand what's going on in people's lives. We're not these shallow water sort of people. Even though it may seem like that, and the only thing guys ever talk about are hunting, sports, or whatever, 
there's actually a depth to us that sometimes it's hard to even communicate. And that takes time and effort. So in your relationships, as you're looking to grow your relationships, I encourage you, don't talk about where to go to dinner, what movie to watch, what book to read, what, what place to go on vacation. Try to actually spend some time figuring out the heart and going deep there. Its purpose is like deep water, Proverbs 25. It's unsearchable, Proverbs 23. Um, 5 3 and it makes our speech judicious actually your heart can do all sorts of things well what else there are some external influences on the heart so as you're looking around i just give you an example of me on the treadmill the light of the eyes according to proverbs 15 30 rejoices the heart so whatever is coming in that you've set your desires on, it will rejoice the heart. And this can be hopefully the Lord, but sometimes we substitute the Lord for other things. We're just getting into the heart of hunting season. And I've heard stories already of people getting excited over big bucks and, and huge elk, and they're, they just get so excited, they're rejoicing, they miss altogether. And I get to make fun of them at that point. But it's amazing what we try to fill our hearts through our eyes and make our hearts rejoice. But it's always temporary if it's not the Lord. It's interesting. What, what do you do when you just have a few minutes and you, and you want to zone out or veg out? Do you go crossword puzzles? Do you do video games? Do you surf the net? What's your favorite website? Do you go social media? Do you take a nap? Whatever the case is, sometimes we try to replace God with other things and try to make our hearts rejoice. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. If you're in a relationship and your spouse comes to you and says, I, I don't love you anymore, your hope is just gone. You're like, I, I've done everything I can do. I am who I am. You feel like at least. And it's just gone. And you literally feel sick. I hope you haven't felt that feeling. But any sort of hope that's taken away can make you feel sick. Literally a physical effect, and we'll look at that more in just a moment. And God can turn it any way he wishes. That's the good news. Our hearts are in God's hands. And that's where prayer and coming before God in mercy and repentance so good. We have the ability to change our hearts through the power of God. Well, that's all the stuff that's going on in the heart. So you can see things could go really bad really quickly. Proverbs talks a great deal about wicked, unbelieving hearts. 16.5, the heart can be arrogant. 10.20, it's of little worth, quite frankly. 5.12, it despises reproof. 6.14, it can become perverted. 6.18, devises wicked plans. 7.10, wily. 12.20, deceitful. 12.23, proclaims folly. 18.12, haughty before destruction or arrogant before destruction. 19.3, rages against the Lord. 21.4, proud, crooked, Abomination to the Lord, others perverse things when drinking or drunk, evil harbors hatred. Man. 
that is rough. That's all going on in our hearts. So if you're in a difficult relationship or if you're trying to raise a teenager or a child, it's not just about intellectual truths. You have all of this going on in people's hearts if they've just let it run wild. And trying to overcome that is huge. God gives us some commands. He gives us some promises and says, believe it or not, this isn't where you have to end up. You don't have to be harboring hatred. You don't have to be devising wicked plans. You don't have to be deceitful. You don't have to be arrogant. You don't have to be standing before God with a heart that God says, it's of little worth. That's not a good place to be. How can we change? What does God want? Well, Proverbs talks a lot about that as well. The very first thing is this. This is the interesting thing. We have to begin by setting our minds on taming or shepherding or training the heart. I got to tell you, this past week, uh, Judy's been gone. She's visiting her family in Oklahoma. I've been uh, trying to corral Patches the Wonder Dog, not lose her, trying to keep the house together and uh, basically avoid dying. It was, it was a scary week for me. But uh, long story short, I didn't think about training my heart at all. And I certainly didn't think about training anyone else's heart. Even as a pastor, as I'm trying to counsel people, and, and there's a great book called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Tripp. Uh, I would encourage you to get that if you're raising kids. Uh, there's other uh, books out there that talk about the heart. But even as I counsel people, I often, I'm just sometimes giving advice. I don't realize the previous slide on how big a task that we have if we've just lived our lives with no effort, no sort of attention to the heart. Just don't do it. My my focus is elsewhere because maybe like you uh, or me, uh, you're kind of more the rational side of people. But we live what we love. So we got to begin. We have to incline our heart according to Proverbs 2.2. Proverbs uh, 4.23 says we are to keep our hearts. We're to bind God's commandments. So you might not initially like to hide God's word in your heart. It may be even very tough. And maybe your heart is even fighting against that idea. Like, I can't do it. I'm too old. I can't do it. I've tried. Really, how much time have you put into it? The same amount of time you put surfing the net? The same amount of time you put getting your college degree? I, I think you can. So you have to make some intellectual decisions on the forefront. Write God's commandments on your heart. Then finally, turn to Proverbs chapter twenty-two, fifteen. If you've got kids, this is not good news for you. I'm sorry, but it's true. But you've already realized this. You just probably didn't think of it in this way. Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen says this. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It's there. They're beautiful children, but they have a sin nature. And folly is bound up in their hearts, but the rod of discipline drives it far from them. This isn't talking about beating your kids. That's not the picture here. Any more than it's taking folly and ropes and chains and wrapping around a heart. No, there's imagery here. Discipline is a ordered structure 
where you begin to train, just as you're training an athlete, you're training uh, musically, you're training whatever you're going to do, and it takes discipline, it takes effort, it takes some specific decisions that aren't always fun on the forefront. And that's how we are to raise our kids, to drive away the folly that's in their hearts. It's you begin to discipline your life to seek the Lord, to do what's right. As you raise them up, you don't just let them go without brushing their teeth for six months. You go, all right, every morning. And it's a fight, right? It, I, I admit it, right? I was a kid. I did not like brushing my teeth. I have all my teeth now, thank goodness. That's just by the grace of my mom. But there are certain things that you want to make your kids do. They have to change their underwear. They have to take a shower, right? They have to do unpleasant things in their perspective, but you know you're raising them in a the right way. Same thing with the Lord. So we have to make some decisions with our heart. Incline it, keep it, bind God's commandments, uh, memorize it, drive folly from not only our children's hearts, but our hearts as well. And then what does it look like when we begin to do this? Wow, turn to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 17. Our hearts begin to trust God. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust God, lean not on your own understanding. So there's going to be some things in your life, even if you approach it intellectually, that you just simply, you're not going to have an answer. Maybe it's in a relationship that's tough and you're trying to work it out and you're thinking, well, I just don't see any hope for this. Well, you probably can't. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. That's where your heart, your love for God and your love for others has to overwhelm your intellectual processes where your shortcomings are far shorter and far less than God's. He is infinitely wise. He is infinitely good. Keep God's commandments. When you begin to love following God is when the Bible comes alive. It's not a rule book. It's not a bunch of lists of twos and don'ts. It's, wow, I'm about to open up a book. Proverbs, 3,000 years old. Not 30 years old, like back in the 80s when I grew up. Not 300 years ago as we're being formed as a nation. 3,000 years ago, you have in your laps a letter, a book written 3,000 years ago. But still, it's true today as it was then. Hold God's word fast in your heart. Receive God's commandments. Write God's word on it. Ponder how to answer before speaking. Apply to knowledge. We're to apply it to instruction. We're to love it. We're not to envy sinners. We're to let it direct us in our way. Is that how you're living? Do you have a good heart? Is your love set on the things of the Lord, his commands? It's getting there for me, and that may be surprising to you as a pastor. It's getting there. That's about the best that I can say. Because as we mature, I don't know about you, but I was 13 when I was uh, saved or I trusted in Christ as my Savior. But there have been peaks and valleys. And I, 
I've been through both, even as a pastor. It's really easy to let the things of this world influence you. What do you love? Is it getting there? Are you digging into God's word? 3,000 years ago it was written. And just as they were writing it, or, or Solomon was writing it, inspired by God, do you let it speak to your, your heart? Do you go, yeah, I want to apply my heart to know God. Do I want to ponder it? Do I really even care about my kitchen? You know, I wish I could say I intellectually came to the realization that kitchens aren't important, but uh, many of you know I was in pharmaceutical sales and I was moving all around a lot. I moved 10 times in 10 years, basically. And after the first house remodel, I thought it'd be really cool and get an old house and try to flip it and make money the next time I moved. After the first time, and I was so consumed with getting everything right and being cool and being hip with my kitchen, uh, I just didn't care after about the eighth house because I knew it would get old and I knew after a couple of years there would be cooler stuff that would come out and I'd want to remodel it again. And I would never have the coolest house. It just didn't mean anything. So I kind of learned that through life. But trust me, whatever, whatever way that you're on, if your heart is leading you in a way that's not godly, it's not going to end with satisfaction and peace and joy. It's just going to be this ever-spinning little hamster wheel. I would encourage you, take the time to shepherd your heart. Because here's the cool thing. Our hearts, and I mentioned this earlier, actually have a physical effect on our bodies. This isn't just, hey, this is kind of good. Maybe I'll take it. Maybe I won't. We'll go to lunch. We'll talk about it. By Monday, hopefully we'll forget about it. Proverbs, in a variety of ways, talks about how your heart affects your health. It is amazing. Proverbs 17.22 says this. You can turn there if you like, and this will be the last proverb I actually ask you to, to turn to. It says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. If you've ever been in a spot where you're, you've lost hope or you're in angst because of some situation, you know what a, what a bad heart can do. You just don't feel like doing anything. Your speech is not good. You're not edifying and uplifting to the people around you. You certainly never tell people you love them at that point. You're just kind of a sourpuss. You don't want to work out. You don't want to even go to work. Uh, you'll just eat junk food. Um, it's, it's kind of crazy. When you have a crushed heart, it affects you physically. But a joyful heart is good medicine. Our hearts can make a cheerful face. Imagine that. There are certain things, and I'm going to keep hammering it. We're not up to Thanksgiving yet. But today, uh, a local church is doing a big Thanksgiving meal that they sell meals. I've got tickets for that because Judy's gone. I've got not only a ticket for the Thanksgiving meal because they do such a good job of it, I've got a second one for leftovers. Yeah, because that's the best thing about Thanksgiving, right? 
leftovers. So I'm getting two big plates of all the good stuff here in a couple hours. You think there's a smile on my face? Yeah, it was that or me and Patches, the Wonder Dog, are eating peanut butter and jelly this afternoon. It was not those two choices, right? A joyful heart changes your, your perspective, your face. It makes a cheerful face. Springs of life flow from it. When you have a happy heart, life's good. It's like drinking cool, clear, refreshing spring water. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. Cheerful hearts are a continual feast. Sorrow of the heart will crush the spirit. It makes, it's known, it makes itself known in our speech. You ever been around someone at work or at school? It's just a negative Nancy. Do you, would you think their heart is just like full of joy or full of anger and bitterness? You, you listen to their speech and you're like, this person complains about everything all day long. They're constantly negative. There's no way that you in your mind are thinking, boy, that's such a peaceful person, full of joy. <laughs> that's not the way. So think about this not only in relation to yourself, but about people around you. How are you going to approach them? Are you just going to throw them under the bus because they're in a certain situation? Or now that you understand the heart, do you know what they're battling? And you can come alongside and help them rather than just get mad at them. You can have empathy for them in their place rather than just simply avoiding them. You know how to build them up now. It's not just, you can't just say, well, you're wrong, quit being so emotional. You have to say, hey, here's a good word. Here's a promise from God. You have to come alongside them because it's going to take some time to, to shepherd and change a heart. Anxiety in the heart weighs us down. Chapter 12, verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. It's amazing what our hearts can do. Let me just close with one last picture. If you're a guy and you're sitting there going, I don't like all this talk about hearts, please quit. I get it. But your wife is going, you better be listening. We're going to talk after the service. I just want to ask you to picture in your mind, someday, as you're about to die, you, you leave the body and you have no idea you've been promised heaven, new heavens, new earth. And someday, you, you don't even understand how it is occurring, but you are brought into the very presence and glory of God in heaven. White, bright light, peace, love. Just this incredible, glorious place. Do you think that it's just going to be an intellectual like, this is good to go. I like this. Measured out infinitely, that's a good idea, God. Do you think you're just going to go, yeah, God, makes sense? Or, do you just, or is your heart just going to be without speech, just in utter awe? 
Can you imagine what a heart full of joy, full of God's glory and presence and peace for all of eternity is going to be like? Well, you have that opportunity right now. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God has come. You can experience God's goodness and his grace right now and it can grow in your life. Your heart can be filled in a way that is inexpressible. And it can just get greater. And you don't have to wait till one day to begin to experience that fully, yes. But you can begin to experience that now. But it takes some effort. It takes some decisions and it takes some shepherding. I encourage you and challenge you this week. Begin to examine your own heart and grow in God's love and goodness and grace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your mercy in my life. I thank you for the lives of everyone here. Help us to be honest with ourselves. It's tough examining something that is so deep and so complex. Lord, even talking about past hurts that uh, we don't want to talk about is, is tough. But Lord, help us to begin to heal our hearts with your promises. Help us to, to set our eyes not on the things of this world, but on you. Help us to control our emotions and our joy through your promises rather than the things of this world. Help us above all else to love others and to love you with our heart completely and totally. In Jesus Christ's name I pray this. Amen.